series. Uh, we are on chapter four this morning. We're actually going to skip over the genealogy of Jesus at the end of chapter three. And I'm not doing that on purpose. Uh, it's just because uh, we just actually taught on the genealogy of Jesus just a few years ago. Uh, if you love genealogies, uh, you can look that up on our website. That was, uh, I believe, March of 2014. The message was called uh, Awkward Family Photos. So today, we're chapter four. We're going to look at the temptation of Jesus. Uh, if you want to follow along, Highly encouraged here. Uh, There's a Bible under every chair. We're going to be on page 834. Uh, Or you can use your renovation app. You just tap Bible and weekly verses. And so Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist. And now he's going immediately to his temptation. So there's three temptations in this narrative. And we're going to start with the first one. So it's page 834, Luke chapter 4. We're starting at verse 1. Here's what it says. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, by the way. Oh, he was hungry. That's great. The devil, I shouldn't be laughing at the Bible, but I am, okay? The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, he's quoting from the Old Testament here, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Okay, let's just stop there for a few minutes. So, first temptation, Jesus is fasting, right? He hasn't eaten in 40 days. He's just relying on God. And at some point during these 40 days, the devil comes along and begins to tempt Jesus. Now, I realize that there are probably at least a few of you here this morning that are are maybe just having a hard time already because it talks about the devil as if it's a real being. Right? And I always tell people that if it's difficult for you to believe in an actual literal being called the devil or Satan or what have you, I always tell people two things. One, if you can believe that there is a somewhat invisible good being somewhere in a place that you can't see, a being called God who lives in a place you can't see called heaven, who also has these good other beings that you can't see called angels— You see, it's not actually that much more further of a stretch to believe that there are also then evil beings that you can't see, called the devil or demons or what have you. And then secondly, I always say, if you read through Scripture, particularly the New Testament, the Bible, when it talks about evil, including the devil, speaks of it as a literal thing, not just a metaphorical thing. And so you get into this passage, and you've got three temptations— And what's really interesting is that the temptations that Jesus is going to experience are actually echoes of 
temptations that happened long ago to the Israelites in the Old Testament. Now, I realize that uh, so many of you sitting here today are, are new at our church. In fact, another 100 of you are new here at Renovation Church just in the last 12 months. But most of us spent uh, much of the last year of 2017 going through the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. And the book of Exodus is this story of the Israelites' journey out of slavery, out of Egypt, and they're in the desert where they are being tempted, where they're being tested. And then you get into subsequent books in the Old Testament, and they cross, this is the book of Joshua, they cross over the Jordan River, and then they get into the Promised Land. Now, you read Luke chapter 4, and the temptation of Jesus is fascinatingly just that story in reverse. You have him starting in the promised land. He goes and crosses the Jordan River, where he gets baptized, and then goes out into the wilderness, and he's tempted for 40 days, just like the Israelites were tempted in that wilderness for 40 years. In fact, Jesus even goes under and experiences the same sort of temptations that the Israelites experienced. So, for example, if you look at Exodus chapter 16, uh, we did a message on this last summer. It was uh, called Daily Bread. The Israelites, in the midst of their 40 years in the wilderness, they start grumbling that life is just too hard. And, and, and what would really satisfy them, what would really satisfy their flesh, would be if they just had food, if they had the right food. They're even, they're so tempted, they're even saying things like, man, if we just went back to Egypt, do you remember the food we had in Egypt? But how are they eventually satisfied? Well, if you read in Exodus, God provides them bread from heaven called manna. And the first temptation of Jesus, which was, hey, you're hungry, just turn those stones into bread, is an echo of that story in the Old Testament, except we're going to see that Jesus is the new and better Israel, and he's actually going to pass each temptation. Now, before we go any further, let me say this about bread. Bread isn't bad, right? Now, I realize there are plenty of angry food bloggers out there, right? Who, bread is just evil for some reason, right? Because of carbs or gluten or, or, or something, right? But I just want you to know, biblically, there's nothing inherently wrong with food in and of itself. That's not what this verse is about. What's happening is Jesus knows that the Father is supposed to provide for him. Right? He's supposed to fast for 40 days. And as he's being tempted, the question before him is, whom do you trust? Whom do you trust? Do you trust that God is enough? Or do you trust, do you believe that you're going to have to provide something for your flesh in order to be satisfied? In fact, I believe that's really the question that's underneath all temptations of the flesh. Right, think of it this way. Okay, let's say you have a really bad day. You're at work, and you get some terrible news at work. Or you're at home, and uh, you know, you're checking Instagram for a few minutes, and you look up, and your toddler or your preschool just drew a stick figure of Daniel Tiger with marker on the back of your couch, right? You're just having some sort of terrible day. You finally, the day is over, right? And you're finally sitting down. It's 9 o'clock, and you're just, ugh. What a horrible day. And you sit down, and for the last couple of weeks, you've been trying to eat healthy again and eat right, and 15 minutes later, you notice that you just completely polished off an entire pint of cookie dough ice cream, right? It's gone. You're staring at the bottom of it, right? Again, nothing inherently wrong with cookie dough ice cream. 
Personally, I think there's a lot right with cookie dough ice cream. But when you're using it to cope with your pain instead of turning to God, well, of course, then that's a problem. And see, at every temptation of the flesh, when it comes, you ask yourself this question, whom do I trust? Like when I, when all I, when we think of lust, right? When all I want to do is take another look. When all I want to do is just take another drink and another drink and another drink. Can I trust that God is enough? You, you read the same uh, narrative of Jesus being tempted in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, Matthew actually adds this part. He says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, it's the manna from heaven that actually truly satisfies us, that what we should really live off of. The question is, do you believe that? Right? Or are, are we instead just believing when life is hard, when it's difficult, do we just go to the sins of the flesh to make us feel better, to make us feel satisfied? And so this, we look to the scripture and we just ask this question, okay, well, how does Jesus defeat temptation? And I just want to give you a few principles this morning on how you can trust trust your way out of temptation. And this really is the first one. Trust that God is enough. And so when temptation comes, and I want you to even use this question of whom do I trust? Use this question this week when you're feeling tempted. All right, whom do I trust? Right, do I trust, because I just want to give in to this right now. Do I trust that God is enough? Or am I just trusting in that I'm going to just have to turn this into bread? I'm just going to have to feed my flesh if I'm really going to feel okay. Which path is more trustworthy? And what you're doing when you're asking this question, whom do I trust? Whom do I trust? Is hopefully you're thinking about God and you're actually beginning to wash your mind with the word, with his truth. And and I would say to you, if you just want to get really practical, you, you have to actually start doing this in the small things if you want to start actually winning the battle against temptation. Uh, think of it this way. Uh, there's an old story told of an African tribe who uh, went out to capture ducks because they just they needed food. And they realized that it was incredibly difficult to actually capture. I don't know if you've tried to capture a duck with your own hands before. Uh, difficult, I hear. Right? And so they came up with this genius strategy. And what they would do is <clears throat> they would take a pumpkin and they would put it on the river upstream and they would just float it down the river. And the ducks would see the pumpkin come down the river, and they'd just quack, and they would, that's a great duck quacking sound, in case you're wondering, and they would just fly away. So then the hunters would go back, and they would put another pumpkin, and float it down the river. And this time, the ducks would, they wouldn't fly away, but they'd just kind of scatter. And they would do it again, and this time, the ducks would just kind of look at it, but they wouldn't really even move. And they would do it again, and they just kept floating the pumpkin down the river until the ducks just accepted that pumpkins were just a normal part of their life. They didn't really notice it anymore. And then the hunter would take one more pumpkin and he would hollow it out and he would stick it on his head. He'd carve some holes for some eyes. He would get under the river, walk right in to the gathering of ducks, grab their feet, rip them down, slaughter them and eat them for lunch. And see, understand this. If temptation right now is just eating you for lunch, the battle for temptation 
is rarely ever won when you're thinking, I'm getting sucked underwater, what do I do? The battle for temptation is won when that first pumpkin is getting floated down the river. See, some of the best advice that I can give to you today is learn to trust God. Learn to battle against temptation in the littlest of things. That's how you would actually develop a spiritual heart that can trust God in the major things. So, like an example, okay, let's say you're, uh, you're, you're at home, it's been a long day, you're just scrolling through something on Netflix. And you see something, you see an image, and you just feel tempted, right, to just check out that movie because you know inside your heart that it's going to satisfy some sort of lust that you have. And see, I'm not actually talking about pornography. Let's just say it's not even pornography. But you see it, and you kind of know there's going to be something in it, and you think... Yeah, okay, I'm going to watch this. See, that, that right there, that's a great example of the first floating pumpkin. It's in those little things where you just got to say, whom do I trust? Whom do I trust? Am I just trusting that, okay, I'm sad, I'm worn out, this is going to give me what I want? Are you trusting your flesh as the brilliant advice for your life, or are you trusting in God's path? Remember this about temptation. Temptation is not going to walk into your life and say, hello, it's great to meet you. I am evil incarnate, and I would just wondering, would it be okay if I ruined your life? It doesn't start like that. It just starts with a pumpkin floating down the river. You just trust that God is enough and then practice it in the small things. And, and listen, the, it, uh, defeating temptation is not about just having a philosophical or theological conversation with yourself. Whom do I trust? I think God is better, and don't trust yourself. I, I will tell you that it starts there, and that is a massive majority part of it, because the more you practice it in small things, the more you'll be able to do it in big things, the more it becomes automatic for you. But listen, while you do this, while you're talking to yourself about trust, while you're preaching the truth to yourself about trust, while you're doing that, then call on the one who has defeated every single temptation that's ever come to him. You call on the one that makes the darkness tremble. You call on him. You say, ah, Jesus, Jesus. God, help me trust you. Help me trust you. This is what I have to pray when when I'm tempted. It, It looks like this. It's like, Jesus, okay, I know I need to trust you. Why am I trusting in myself? Jesus, help me trust you. I know I should trust you, but see, the problem is right now, I don't want to trust you. Help me. Call him in. Help me trust you. Trust that he's enough. But there's a second temptation. We sort of see three really broad categories of ways that we're tempted here. So let's look at the second one. Now, verse 5, if you have it in front of you. It says, The devil led him up, as Jesus, again, of course, to a high place, and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me. I don't, we don't actually know if that's true or not. And I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, again from the Old Testament, It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And this temptation is actually echoing another temptation that the Israelites had in the, in the wilderness. Uh, if you were here back in January, uh, we did a message on uh, Exodus chapter 32 called Revising God. We talked about the Israelites, they're in the wilderness, they're just getting frustrated 
with God's timing and how God is doing things. And so they decide that they're just going to revise God in their own image, and they construct a golden calf. And then they proclaim that their calf had now said, okay, Israelites, it's time to get going, moving on from Mount Sinai now. See, the devil is making the same sort of temptation with Jesus. He's saying, you don't need, you don't need God to lead. You lead. You decide how this goes. You get the power. And see, I think that, just like the first temptation, that's the foundation for so many, a broad category of our temptations. But if we're going to have victory over temptation, then we need to trust God to lead, not just ourselves. And that's really the second principle I want you to see in trusting through, trusting your way out of temptation. Trust that God is enough, and you trust God to lead. Because trying to lead in your own life instead of God, I will tell you, it always comes with a price. What did the devil say? Oh, sure, 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 you can have all these things. You kind of take control. You get the power. You get the authority. But what's in the fine print? Uh, But uh, by the way, you're you're also going to have to worship me. Again, uh, authority, uh, money, things aren't inherently bad, but chasing them at the expense of honoring God, well, that's a problem. I want you to just hear this very carefully. If at any moment in your life you have to do something that Jesus would never do in order to get the things that you want, then you are bowing down to Satan and not God. And unfortunately, we make trades like this all the time. This is going to hit pretty hard for some of you. And so I just want you to listen with an open heart. This isn't really a church where we we baby and coddle you. Uh, We're just going to preach the word. And so we say things like, people just didn't say this for 1,900 years, but in modern Christianity, we say things like, you know, I can't usually get to church on Sunday mornings because I need to work. Why? Because I need money. Because I need security of having that job. As if God could not provide for you. If you were to go to your boss and say, I just need, I need Sundays off. As if God could not provide for you if you started looking for something else that wouldn't get in the way of you growing spiritually. And making a trade-off. Or for others, we know, we've learned in the Word that the best way, the best thing for our families is to let God lead. It's to let God have control. Even in a marriage, the best thing for our marriage is Ephesians 5, is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, to have a godly partnership with each other, and yet what we really want is control. You want to control your husband. You control your wife, your kids. And if it means that by doing that, you have to live in your marriage in such a way that God never intended for you, well then, so be it. At least you get control. You will never win when you have to take a detour of sin to get ahead. Ever. The, the steps backward in your soul are far worse than the few steps you appear to be taking forward. There was a story 
in the news just back in February of this year in Florida uh, where a boy was uh, looking at one of those machines they have in the lobbies of restaurants. You know what I'm talking about? It's like they have all the stuffed animals and the claw that comes down. It just looks like, how could I not get a stuffed animal, right? If that's not a temptation trap, you know, what is, right? And so there's this boy uh, in Florida where he, he decided that he was just sick of losing, and his parents were, weren't watching him. I'm sure they were checking out their phones or something, right? And so he decided that he thought, I'm really skinny, I look small enough, I bet I could crawl up through that hole, through that chute, and maybe get a stuffed animal. And eventually, he wiggles his way in into what looks like a stuffed animal paradise, right? And see, that's what getting power or control the world's way often looks like. It looks so good, so right, until this happens. This is a picture of the literal story in Florida. If you can see the boy in there, I don't know if you can see it so well from the back, trapped, they had to call the fire department and everything. And suddenly what will happen in your life, you feel like, oh, I'm taking a detour. This is not how Jesus would do it. But it just feels so good. And I see the paradise, and I see the glory, and I see until... Suddenly, the pain of your compromises catch up to you. And now everybody's looking at the mess of your life. And they got to call in the professionals to get you out and get your life back together. Trust the word of God. Trust in Jesus Christ. Don't give in to your temptations to grab power, to grab control. Trust God to lead. And when you feel that temptation, now I, don't, I could just do this unethically and I could get ahead. When you feel that temptation, ask, whom do I trust? Am I trusting in my own desires or am I trusting in God's pathway? Ask that question. I, I tell you, I've been asking this question a lot in my own life when I feel tempted. Whom do I trust? Whom do I trust? And it's helping me because when I fall into temptation, it's because I'm trusting myself. And that is just a bad idea. And then we see there's a third temptation as well. So look now, verse 9. It says, The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, and then the devil's quoting scripture. That's a scary thing. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. We're going to see him come back the last week of Jesus' life. So again, Jesus again quotes from the book of Deuteronomy, but if you actually look up, if you look in your Bibles, usually there's like a little letter that tells you where they're quoting from the Old Testament. So if you do the work and you look up this verse in the Old Testament, you see it's actually a a few words longer. So let's look at this verse that he's quoting. Deuteronomy 6.16 says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa. Okay, well, what is that? Well, that's a reference to a story of the Israelites in Exodus and something that occurred in this region of Massa. What happens was in Exodus 17, there was no water for the Israelites. And so they start complaining, they start questioning Moses, and they're saying this, they're saying essentially, if God really loved us and delivered us from Egypt, then wouldn't he give us water? And then they demand it, they say, tell him to give us water. And see, 
in that actually lies the third temptation. And the third temptation is this. It's to believe that God will get you out of every suffering. And if he doesn't, then perhaps he doesn't love you. And so we must counter that. And here's how you do it. So you trust your way out of temptation by thirdly, trusting God even into suffering. And this is all a bit counterintuitive, especially for us as modern-day Americans. So think about this. Okay, the devil has Jesus up on the highest point of the temple, and he says, hey, just throw yourself down. Angels will catch you. Now, most of us read that, or after, like, oh, yeah, he's saying, you know, he's tempting to test God, to, to jump. But context. Context, context, context. You've got to interpret Scripture with the clues that we have. This is why so many of you need to take Mining God's Word and Renovation Youth this summer. So remember the Old Testament passage that Jesus is alluding to. It, see, it's, it's more like this. It's more like the devil is saying, if you really are the Son of God, then any time you encounter suffering... Just call on the angels. They'll get you out. I'm surely God would deliver you from suffering. And why would the devil say that to Jesus? Think of it this way. What is the last thing in the world the devil wants Jesus to do? I'll tell you. It's to suffer on the cross. Because that's the very thing that defeats the devil. So the devil wants to tempt Jesus to yelling out, just like the Israelites did in Exodus, this is too much. Father, this is too much. This is too much suffering. If you really love me, you would get me out of this. Do you see that temptation? Because we fall for that all the time. So many of us, I think we're apt to think that temptation is just like, oh, the temptation to lust and sex and all these things. Ah, this is in Scripture for a reason. For a lot of us, we're tempted by this. The moment we enter this season of suffering, the devil starts whispering in your ear. Just like he said to Jesus. Did you see this in the text? He keeps saying over and over, if, if you're really the son of God, I, I, don't, know, I don't know, if you're really the son of God, he says to you, you start entering a difficult season in your life, he says to you, if you're really a child of God, if this is real, like if a God is real, wouldn't he be commanding his angels to come and get you out of this? But if God really loved you and he was real, wouldn't he have gotten you a job by now? Like if God really loved you and he was real, wouldn't he have found someone for you to marry by now? Hmm? That's the temptation. But look at the wisdom of Jesus. He trusts God, even into suffering. Jesus doesn't need to test out if God loves him. That's what the temptation is, is testing it out. That's what we do when we're tempted. We want to test God. We want to say, God, oh, I'm just sick of this place in my life. If you love me, then prove it to me. Send your angels. Get me out of this. And Jesus doesn't need to test God because he knows that God loves him no matter what happens. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't pray when he suffers. It doesn't mean he doesn't ask for help. Read in the Garden of Gethsemane. He, just, he says, he says, Father, is there another way? But then he says, but, 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 your will be done. I'm suffering. I'm going to suffer, but your will be done. How can he say that? 
because he trusts the heart of God. He trusts God even into suffering. I don't know how much of the New Testament you've read before, but if you have, do you remember the part in the Gospels where Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan? What's the context of that passage? Well, see, Jesus had just told his disciples that he had to go up to Jerusalem and suffer at the hands of the elders and the chief priests, and he would be killed but on the third day rise again. So Peter hears this, that Jesus is going to have to suffer, and he says, never, Lord, never. And to that, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because that, Peter's attitude, is the exact attitude that the devil wants you as a believer to subscribe to, the idea that all suffering must not be from God. And yet, look at this. You just keep going in the Gospels, and you see, on the night before his death, when Jesus is arrested by the armed crowd and his disciples are trying to fight their way out of it, Jesus says this, Matthew 26. Do you, not, do you think I cannot call on my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? By the way, that's 72,000 angels that Jesus could just say, hello, army. But how then... Will the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? And see, just like the devil said in Jesus' temptation, Jesus could certainly call on the angels to rescue him out of suffering. But he doesn't. Because he just trusts God's will. He trusts that not every entry into suffering means that God doesn't love you. Not every hard part of your life means that God isn't with you. Not every difficulty you face means that it isn't a part of God's plan. Think of it this way. God, the Father, lets his own son get arrested, get beaten, get whipped, get falsely accused through six different trials, and then get murdered gruesomely on the cross. If that's not suffering, then I don't know what is. But was God not in that? Should Jesus on the cross have fallen for the temptation that said, God, because I suffer, you must not love? No. In fact, it's because he suffered that we know that he loves. And so even when, you're, even when you suffer, and you're just tempted to question his love. You just ask yourself, whom do I trust? Whom do I trust? I know my heart is just doubts and doubts and doubts and doubts. Whom do I trust? Trust the one that promises you, that guarantees you as a believer that he loves you and that you are his. Trust in that. Whom do I trust? Trust in God. Let me pray. Lord, teach us, to, teach us to trust in you like your son, Jesus. Teach us, teach us to call on you, Father. And may we trust God when our flesh pulls us away. God, may we trust when we just want to take control. And may we trust God when we just want to get out of suffering. We just trust, trust, trust God. And may we be glorified. 
as we trust in you. May you just be glorified, God. We just love you. We just want to come to you now, Father, and we want to worship you because you are good. You are beautiful. You are powerful. It's in your name we pray. Amen.